boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, lads and lassies, and those who don't subscribe to Agenda. Welcome to the GOT Got Questions podcast with Spencer. No, not today, but Lee. Welcome, everybody. This is a special episode of the Got Questions podcast. It is a review of the Game of Thrones concert experience. Uh, this is Lee. I am uh, one of your hosts of the Got Questions podcast. I went to the got uh the the got concert experience in washington dc just a few days ago and i wanted to do a quick recap of the show a lot of people out there um either on reddit or on twitter facebook whatever are wondering is this worth going to is this something that i should uh, spend money or time and effort to go to and uh, so i just wanted to do a quick review podcast of the show the short answer to those questions are yes you should totally go this is an incredible concert, and it's a visual experience. In a way, it's kind of hard to explain. I mean, you have uh, Raymond Jualdi, who's the composer of all the music on Game of Thrones, and he is on stage with a select group of musicians who assist him in um, creating the music for Game of Thrones, but he also uh, uses local orchestras. So it was a local DC orchestra that was playing with him, and they're playing in front of a monster Megatron, huge screen, that shows clips from the show as they play. Uh, It's flanked on either side by uh, other monitors, so that way uh, they can have uh, images going from left to right, right to left, across multiple screens. There's also uh, a visual uh, lighting element where there's different color lights and the strobe lights and, and, and different effects that way. And then there's also pyrotechnics, which you would expect because this is a show with dragons. So we'll start with uh, how the show begins. It begins with Raymond Jualdi coming out, uh, explaining to everybody kind of what the show is, welcoming them, and really um, (laughs) pushing people to, you know, cheer when their favorite character comes on screen. And boy, oh boy, did they. Uh, That's part of the fun of this type of show is that you're there with other Game of Thrones fans. And so, you know, Danny comes on and you hear screams. John comes on and you hear screams. I'm a Stannis guy. I was like the only one in the audience. So Stannis came on screen. I was cheering and, and everybody's just having a good time. Uh, one thing to point out is that uh, when Rickon came on the screen, uh, multiple people started screaming zigzag. Zigzag, Rickon! (laughs) That's always going to be a part of that character. And then the show starts. And it starts with season one. It kind of goes sequentially through the different uh, seasons of the show. And so you start with... um, you start with uh, House Baratheon music because you're, you you know, we kind of start with season one... The Baratheon music, because that's what you're hit with uh, the very first episode uh, when drag, uh, when when Robert and his crew are going down the King's Road, and you hear that Baratheon theme. And it's so fun to be back in the world of season one again, seeing all the actors when they're younger, watching the episodes where you knew nothing. They're very Jon Snow-esque. <laughs> A lot of fun. So yeah, we start with House Baratheon. Then they start going through all of the different house uh, themes. Because if you notice in Game of Thrones, all of the houses have a distinct, all the major houses have a distinct theme and 
they go right from the Baratheon, uh, and this is this is obviously the Robert Baratheon song, not the Stannis Baratheon song. They do get to that one later, and then they cut to uh, All Black, and you get uh, All Black meaning all the lights in the place go out, and and a, a person comes out. It was this young woman who clearly plays the uh, viola, uh, which my wife pointed out, not the violin, it's viola, and. She comes out and she starts playing the Stark theme. And the Stark theme can be played on one instrument, which is kind of why it's pretty cool. And she starts to play. And unbeknownst to us in the audience, she's strapped into an apparatus that starts to lift her off of the stage. And she's got a long flowing dress on. So the, the dress just kind of billows up and stays on the ground because it's very long as this uh, musician is being pulled higher and higher above the stadium while she plays the Stark theme. It was really great, uh, you know, beautiful uh, scene, beautiful theatrics. I mean, the whole thing was sort of breathtaking, but ultimately what drives this is the music. And the Stark theme is just haunting and amazing. higher they lift this this woman into the rafters of the Capital One Arena in DC as her dress continues to billow and billow down and then leaves from a weirwood tree look like maple leaves start falling down from the top of the I'm not making this up down onto the audience weirwood tree leaves start falling on us pretty surreal eventually lowered her back down to the stage when the theme was over. It was a really incredible way to kind of kick off the show, go through the different house sigils. You have this great effect of lifting a, lifting a musician up above our heads and dropping the weirwood leaves on us. And from there, they start to go into the actual plot um, of the show. You know, 
from season one forward, right? So we, we see the king coming down the crossroads. We have the house themes. And then we have, uh, you know, Danny and Essos and her experience with Cal Drogo. And what was really interesting to me is that Cal Drogo got a lot of love. Um, way more cheers for Danny uh, and Cal than Danny and John. Or definitely uh, <laughs> Danny and anybody else, really. A lot of, lot of love for Cal Drogo. And then we go into uh, the Battle of Blackwater which dovetails with the Melisandre Stannis part of the show. This is playing while you see the ships coming into Blackwater Bay, going up to the, the Mudgate. You see the Lannister forces trying to prepare. You see Tyrion uh, conspiring and running around, and then eventually on the battlements uh, of the Red Keep, looking uh, at the ships coming toward them. And it all starts to culminate. with a boom, as you would imagine, when uh, the wildfire goes off and Blackwater Bay and all the ships are destroyed. Then you see Stannis coming up the battlements, uh, attacking, ultimately losing when Tywin and the uh, Tyrell forces come to the aid of the Lannisters who are holding the Red Keep. Stannis is pushed away, and that's really the end of the Stannis segment uh, of the show, which of course was my favorite because Stannis is my favorite character. Then we cut to uh, Rob Stark. A lot of Rob Stark. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of Rob Stark uh, highlights here because, you know, you kind of forget after the Red Wedding, but he was a huge part of the show early on. I would argue that in the second and third uh, seasons, he was probably a top two or three character as far as screen time and importance to the plot. So they did spend a lot of time on him. But of course, what, you know, they were driving to was one of the most um, impactful and and lasting scenes of the show and will always be, which was the Red Wedding. And of course, uh, with the Red Wedding, you get the Reigns of Castamir. Now, what was great about this segment is they actually showed the Red Wedding in its entirety, the whole scene, um, which is minutes long, you know. And Catelyn's looking around like, oh, this song's not to be playing. This isn't right. That's all the truth I know. She pulls away Roose Bolton's sleeve and sees the chainmail under. She starts to pick it, pick, figure out exactly what's going on. She's putting everything together. And 
the Lannister bolts are flying and Rob's hit and he's down. And it's clear that the Lannister forces, well, not the Lannister forces, but the Frey forces um, <laughs> via the Lannister forces are going to prevail here. And it ends with a lot of death. <laughs> you have Talisa who dies, you have Rob Stark, you have Catelyn Stark, um, and, and basically all of Rob's army is destroyed. Arya is there to witness it as the Hound had taken her there to reunite her with her brother. Uh, that didn't work, so he had to take her away. And Grey Wind. Grey Wind also uh, RIP from the scene. Impactful. I'm glad that they did the whole scene during the concert. I think that was totally worth it. So then you move on to season four. And season four really is all about um, the rise of Danny. And you do get uh, a lot of scenes of Danny and Essos and her, you know, starting to come into her own and how she uh, gains an army when she, she actually gets the Unsullied army, right? When she yeah, gets the Unsullied army uh, from Krasny's Molnaklos, I believe is his name. He's one of the good masters of Astapor and he's being a real jerk because he thinks that Danny doesn't speak High Valyrian and he's basically insulting her behind her back and Missande, ever the professional, um, is able to sort of soften the blow of a lot of the things that he's saying and Danny looks at the Unsullied and then she makes a deal. She says, hey, I will give you one of my dragons for this army. And he is like, well, are you kidding me? A dragon? Yes, I'll take it. So he makes that deal with Danny. He gives her all of the Unsullied. And I think he does that by giving her the whip. Ugh. Right? And she hands over Drogon. He's on a leash. And then when she has the leash, she says, in High Valyrian, Unsullied, kill the masters. And that's exactly what they do. They start killing all of the, the good masters of Astapor. Danny looks down, looks over, and says that magic word, And that's pretty much it for season four. And then we cut to season five, and really season five culminates in that amazing episode. It might be my favorite episode of the whole series, which is the Watchers on the Wall, which is the wildling attack on the wall. Um, and John basically taking command of the forces of the Night's Watch and beating back the wildlings. And they do this, this scene justice because they show an awful lot of the battle and it's pretty cool. There's a one uh, performer actually is featured in this, and he's the one that plays this long horn-like instrument. And it's the same horn that you hear when the wildlings are attacking the wall, and you have the the horns that go off that notify the notify the Night's Watch that they are being attacked. And you see the giants and the mastiffs. The wildling horde. John looks down on the wall. And he knows he's in for a fight. And that's the horn I'm talking about that makes that noise. And it's this really long, sort of narrow tube 
that the, the performer blows into and it actually is loose. It's like a loose tube. You can think of like a garden hose or something. And so he can kind of dance around while he's playing it, which is pretty neat. So this guy's just like spinning in circles, whipping this horn around and blowing into it while this music plays. It's completely dark in the building except for the, mega, uh, the, the Jumbotron that's playing clips from the battle. And then you start to feel snow. Well, little pieces of paper, but it looks like snow falling down around you as the battle unfolds. Of course, the big part uh, of this episode, and specifically the battle sequence, is John reuniting with Ygritte. Finally sees her, smiles, looks like she might shoot him, and then that little jerk Ollie takes her out and gives John that meme-worthy nod as if he had done something good. So that was season five. Season five also had um, Danny and the Dragon Pit. They really did not focus on that that much, which I thought was good because, you know, if you're going to have scenes with Danny and the Dragons, there definitely are better scenes than that one. I mean, it was a necessary scene. It was the first time she rode Drogon, so it was definitely character building. But, nah, it, it, it didn't deserve an awful lot of screen time and it didn't get it. So there we move to season six. And season six was something to behold. Of course they focus on the 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 final two episodes, the first of which is the Battle of the Bastards. And so they they actually show you a lot of the um precursor to the fight, the different armies lining up. They show you Ramsey coming out with Rick on, on a leash, what it looks like. John looking, seeing that it's Rick on. And Ramsey tells Rick on they're going to play a little game. And release Rickon. He can make it to his brother. He can live. Rickon's a little unsure of this, as he should be. But he goes. Takes off. And he's running, and this is where he should have zigzagged. And we're all screaming, zigzag, zigzag, Rickon. Yeah, it was fun for us. John takes the bait. Jumps on his horse. Takes off after Rickon. And it's a really long scene, and they played it all. They played it all during the show. Of John trying to get to him. While Davos and Tormund are so upset with John for what he's doing. Because he's taking off, and they're getting closer and closer. An arrow. Bolts through the air, shot by Ramsey. It looks like it might hit Rickon. It doesn't. It does not hit Rickon. But the next one does. So Rickon falls. John looks up. They all say, no. Don't do it. Don't do it, John. And he takes off anyway. Runs right at Ramsey and the whole army.
Why he does this? Can't tell you. Pretty stupid move. But he does. Davos yells, Go! Leave! Follow your commander! Follow your commander! And he does. They all take off after John. The whole army, except for the archers, they stay behind. And John falls. Gets up. Looks at the Night King. Night King. <laughs> Not the Night King. Looks at Ramsay. And the Bolton forces start charging forward at John. John lifts up his sword. This got a big cheer, by the way. This sort of John's last stand, you know, sort of moment. And all of the Bolton forces are coming to John. They're getting closer. John lifts his sword up. He'll take them on. Looks like there's no way John is surviving this sequence. We're all cheering, because we know he does. And then the battle happens. Just before the Boltons get to John, John's army comes, passes John, meets the Bolton forces head on, and the battle ensues. And there is just ruckus and fighting, and you don't know what's going on. It's complete chaos. You see arrows fall that just about hit John, but they don't. They battle. They continue to battle. And then you see a mountain of people, uh, dead people, bodies just start to take hold and form. And increasingly, John's uh, forces are being pushed back against that wall of, of bodies. And then you see the Bolton soldiers come up and they encircle around, they, they circle around uh, the, the, the wall of bodies, effectively trapping John's army uh, in a circle. And then they put the spears out and they start moving forward. <laughs> forward one after another one after another closer and closer there's a big mad rush to try to get away from the uh the spikes to the uh moving from the spikes where uh the the, the bolton soldiers are to the wall of uh dead bodies and then john gets run over and here you think john might give up uh but he doesn't and he, he starts to pull himself forward and that's when they uh they kick back in uh with the music You can hear John getting up, fighting his way forward. You see one one, one one's trying to fight him off. Horman, and you hear horn. Davos looks around. What is that? More fighting from Tormin. You keep hearing the horn now, and it was cool. 
and then the House Aaron theme kicks in, and the Knights of the Vale are riding in. It was cool that horn sound you were hearing, um, you know, signaling that the, the Knights of the Vale were coming. It was actually a big horn on screen. This guy was blowing. It was pretty cool. And of course, the crowd erupts at this point. John looks up. He sees the soldiers coming. Now you see Sansa. Now you see Littlefinger. And the shot of Sansa and Littlefinger watching the Knights of the Vale ride into the battle got a huge ovation. Everybody was loving that, of course. And the rest is history. The Knights of the Vale ride in. Uh, the Bolton forces uh, are defeated. John is able to break through the, the front door of Winterfell with the help of 1-1, and he beats the hell out of Ramsay, puts him in a uh, dungeon, and Sansa eventually releases Ramsay's own dogs on him. Then comes, I think, probably the best song, other than the you know the opening, right? The, um, the opening of... Uh, the show, uh, you know, the dun 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 dun. I think the light of the seven, which is uh, what is played during the last episode, the beginning of the last episode of season six, is probably the best song that the show has ever done, and uh, I can't hear it enough. I absolutely love it, and they do it justice. They play this song in its entirety. And they do it with Raymond Jualdi. He's got like this weird piano-esque thing, but it's like, uh, almost looks like, um, I don't know, like uh, little, little wind chimes, I guess, on it uh, that, are, that, are, that he's playing. It's a, it's a very odd instrument. It doesn't explain what it is, but it sounds amazing. And that's what actually plays the dun 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 that, It plays that part. So he's actually out. He's kind of solo on this. Of course, the orchestra does kick in later, but he's featured predominantly. It's kind of off to the side of the stage. And they let this hang. I mean, they let this sit out there. They play most of the song and they show the lead up they show the Tyrells in that uh that mock trial they show Marjorie they show Cersei getting ready they show Tommen getting ready and the mountain stopping him from leaving They see Lancel. He sees some young child and starts to chase him. Running down the streets of King's Landing. Gets into like a weird little alleyway area. He gets gets shift. Cut right in the thigh. Stops him from being able to get up. It's his thigh muscles cut. Hamstring. See Cersei looking out. She's now in black. First time I've ever seen her in black. Lancel's looking down a hallway. He doesn't know quite what he sees, but he looks to his left, looks to his right, and it's just caches of wildfire everywhere. 
See Grandmaster Pycelle. He's summoned to some dungeon somewhere. I guess he was told that King Tommen was there. And that's when he sees Kyburn. Kyburn tells him he doesn't deserve to die in such a cold, dark place. It was actually a line from the book um, that uh, the Varys told Kevin Lannister. But it was adopted in the show with Kyburn telling it to Pycelle. And then Pycelle gets it. The little birds stab him, kill him. Then cut back to Lancel. He's starting to crawl now. He's trying to get to the edge of this hallway where it looks like there's some wildfire spilt and a couple candles. And it's just incredible to hear this song live. I mean, this is such a powerful, impactful song. starts to be a really hectic scene inside the Septa Baylor where this mock trial with the High Sparrow is going on. And credit to Marjorie, shout out Marjorie, she figures out that Siri is not there and she knows the consequences of not being there. So that suggests to her that Siri does uh, that that Cersei does not plan on facing those consequences. Something's wrong. They need to leave. She tells the High Sparrow we need to leave. He can't comprehend what's going on. High Sparrow, a little slow on the pickup here. A little slow. choir here for this part, which was pretty neat. You didn't see him until that moment when the, the, the choir just kicked in, but then they kind of rise up from the back of the stage and the choir's playing, or singing, along with the orchestra that's playing. You still have Raymond Jewelli, he's out in the front of the, uh, 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 of the stage. He's playing on this weird little pipe organ type thing. Everybody's got chills in the audience at this point, and it's the cuts to Lancel, who is just doing all he can to crawl to the edge of this hallway to try to blow out these candles that it looks like it's going to blow up a cache of wildfire. And at this point, the solo violinist stands up, who's doing the... She stands up, and now she's at the edge of the stage with Raymond Waldi, who's still playing on the pipe organ. blows up and when it does uh, on the stage uh, green smoke uh, billows up from the bottom of the stage and then there's some pyrotechnics in the back uh, that looks like green flames so it was a pretty cool setup 
Uh, from there, we cut to the rest of season six, which is really um, Danny uh, compiling her army, uh, getting ready to go to Westeros. You see shots of Olena and see shots of Elena. You see shots of uh, the folks from Dorne. You see Varys, who he's there in the gardens of Dorne. This is what they're just planning to, uh, for for Danny um, to to join forces with Danny, and then Danny, of course, is planning to leave Essos to go to Westeros, which she finally does in the last episode of the season. And the choir is still there. So this is all being sung by the choir. And you see the big shot, big sweeping shot of all of these ships with the Targaryen sigil, with the Tyrell sigil, with the Martell sigil, with the Greyjoy sigil. Huge army. Just like how this sounds on the podcast, as the music is getting louder, it's exactly what it was doing in the arena. It just builds and builds and gets louder and louder and louder. And then it fades out, and actually the, the lights come on, and you think, oh, okay, I guess they just didn't get to season seven. And Raymond Jwaldi comes out, and he starts talking about how much fun uh, the tour has been, and how you know he um, has been enjoying it. He feels like it's a blessing to be able to share the music with everybody. So he, you know, it was really kind of heartfelt. One thing you know to know about Raymond Waldy, if you go to the show, is he is as awkward as you might imagine for somebody who, you know, conducts uh, you know and, and creates music for television shows in Hollywood. He's pretty awkward, but in a, in a sort of endearing way. And then he says they actually did do season seven work. And so lights turn back down and you cut to that first episode of season seven. One of the first few images you see is Danny and her ships riding into Dragonstone. Choir is still out there. And you also have these big drums that they've pulled out from the back. And the guys are banging on them in a really sort of like dramatic way. It reminded me a lot of the, the drum being banged on on Stannis' ships when he was going into King's Landing in season two. They kind of went for that effect. And Danny comes into Dragonstone. Gets off her ship. She touches the sand in Westeros, touching the earth in Westeros for the first time.
And that big sweeping rolling sound is just going through the arena. Really cool. Really cool. And then they cut to scenes from season two, or episode two, episode three. All Danny-centric, all about her, Danny as the conqueror. Um, then they cut to, you know, which really was uh, probably the best battle scene in the show so far. Uh, some of the actors and the folks associated with the show are saying that they do have something in mind or maybe multiple um, things in mind uh, in season eight that might surpass it. But it's the it's the loot train attack or what I call the Field of Fire 2.0. It's when Danny and the Unsullied Army, well, Danny on the back of Drogon, the Unsullied Army attack the Lannister forces as they're making their way back to King's Landing after having defeated the Tyrells and sacking them and taking all their gold. And they show a lot of this scene. somebody in the back of the orchestra banging a drum every time you hear that sort of boom boom in the back <laughs> Raymond Jualdi is not playing a uh, an instrument for this one he's conducting Then you see Danny come over the horizon on Drogon. You hear the Dothraki forces coming, attacking, and they show the they show the battle. And the cool thing um, about this sequence is that as Drogon is coming, you know, through the uh, the screen, uh, going left to right, right to left, and he's shooting flames. They actually have little flamethrowers that they've suspended above the stage. So that when Drogon throws flame left to right, there's actual fire that comes out of one of the flamethrowers left to right. And we were sitting down on the floor, pretty close, and you could feel the heat coming off of it. And as every time Drogon would, would throw it on fire, would breathe fire, there'd be actual fire on the stage that would replicate it. It was really a neat, neat thing. And they show this battle pretty much in its entirety. They like to do that, I think, in the show, uh, or in, in the concert experience. They like to take these big super consequential battle scenes um, or just any any scene that really is uh, that permeates through the show and is of importance and they show it pretty much in its entirety so the show because of that the show is actually fairly long it's two and a half hours but there is a, an interlude that's about 15 minutes so then they go to the final uh, scene final song of the night which is a sequence about John and Danny. So it just shows highlights of the two of them through the season, meeting, initially being distrustful, starting to develop a rapport. They show the cave scene, of course. They show the scene where John is is, is leaving. He's going to go north of the wall and that ridiculous uh, idea to go north of the wall to get a white to show Cersei and, and how Danny kind of glows at him as he's leaving. What I found interesting about the fan reaction here 
um, is that there wasn't much of one. You know, my thought was that I might be in the minority. I I, I don't really care for the John Danny romance, I, and I thought I was in the minority. I thought folks uh, in the fandom had bought into it, and maybe you know, just the folks that were in the room. Uh, and it is not indicative of the greater fandom, but people weren't into it. Like I mentioned earlier, people were way more into the Khal Drogo Danny romance and the John Egrid romance than the John Danny. But it is a big important part of the show. It's clearly going to be an important part of season eight. So they wrap it up with this song, which I believe is called Love. It's a Raymond Jewaldi original. It's a beautiful song. the boat sex and the Tyrion looking on and the cliffhanger that we were sort of left with at the end of season seven, which is the, uh, with Viserys, Viserion being ridden by the Night King, uh, tearing down uh, by breathing blue flame on the wall uh, near East Watch by the sea and pretty much everybody there dying except for it looks like Tormund and Beric and Darien who, who made it uh, just, you know, far enough along the wall that they were on solid ground once the whole thing fell and then they show the army of the dead walking through and then that was the show uh, then they uh, the lights came on and the final thing that came on the the big screen was just a list of uh, all the people who had died in the show and it's uh, it's pretty long um, and the bear and the bear and the maiden fair played in the background while they just did a slideshow of every character that died and that was it that was the show it was a lot of fun uh, I highly recommend it I will tell you this that me and my wife sat on the floor seats. They're not cheap. Uh, you don't need to do that. I mean, you can see the orchestra, you know, if you're sitting up in the stands of whatever, whatever you know, stadium you're in. And the Megatron or the, the Jumbotron is so big, you really don't need to be in the floor seats. You don't need to be in the VIP section. You know, I, I would recommend just getting a pretty reasonable seat somewhere, you know, up in the, uh, you know, not on the floor, up in the stadium and, and go from there. That's totally what you need. All right, so final score here, I would say I give this a A minus. Uh, I know it's a really, really high bar, but you know, we're in the long night. We're between season seven and season eight. We don't have the winds of winter, uh, and this is something to kind of get the juices flowing again, to get you back excited into the show, back excited into the community, the story, the world of Westeros. I loved it. Um, I think they did a really good job giving it an A minus. Anyway, thanks for hanging in there with me um, and, and listen to this. Of course, this podcast is a little bit different than what we normally do on the GOT Got Questions podcast. We have finished our season seven coverage. Uh, the final, me and Spencer have recorded the final episode uh, of season seven, the review of the final episode, The Dragon and the Wolf. That is going to be out this week. Uh, after that, I think we're going to do season one. In talking with Spencer, we both agreed that season one sounds, uh, sounds like a lot of fun. And that was reiterated to me in this 
this concert experience because I found myself really drawn in, drawn into the the season one stuff and the songs and the characters and gives me a chance to talk about King Bobby B, one of my favorite characters, as y'all know. So thanks for joining me. Uh, go out, see the GOT concert experience if it comes to a town near you. Until next time, bye.